In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you'd speak through it to us. Come and speak to us deeply, Lord, so that um, we don't just think that's interesting, but Lord, that we... We're inspired to change for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, that your church would be a light to the nations, a light to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So um, as we continue our journey through Acts, um, looking at what we can learn about being the church, we come to this passage one of the shorter sections, which has so much in it worth looking at. We could read this as a lesson about the importance of administration. Uh, we looked at this theme back in chapter two when the disciples were getting organized in the very early stages. Or we could look at these verses through the lens of social welfare. You know, sometimes commentators argue that we see Acts six, we see in Acts six, one of the first examples of systematic welfare provision in a society. And we know this is a key theme for Jesus in Luke's gospel and in Acts. Jesus proclaimed good news for the poor and he wanted his church to do the same. But there's something else going on in this story which I think is not just important but fundamental to the church. Something that holds the key to understanding a lot of the New Testament. Something that cuts right to the heart of what it means to be the church, both then and now. And that is how to be a multinational, multi-ethnic, one body in a world and a society that massively struggles with issues around race and discrimination. Two and a half years ago, we found ourselves reflecting on the killing of George Floyd. And there was this moment in society, wasn't there, both in America and in this country, where we were grappling with the impacts of inequality and oppression, which seemed just so hopelessly 
deeply ingrained in our society. And there was this sense that something has to change. Things could not go back to the way they were before. But people didn't know what to do. Was kneeling before a football match going to change things? And then there's the church itself. And we shouldn't be surprised that over the centuries, the church has struggled with the same problems as its host cultures. Nevertheless, the historical role that the church played in building systematic oppression on the basis of race remains deeply shocking. As are the findings of more recent reports that show just how far we have to go in this area. But I want to take a quick look at how the early church addressed an example of discrimination on the basis of race and ethnicity and to consider briefly what can we learn from their example today. Now a couple of qualifications. I always have a few qualifications to make. It's a historian in me. Um, First, it will not be lost on you that I, speaking, am a white man, or as some people have put it, male, pale and stale. As such, I feel a little uncomfortable, I should say, unqualified perhaps to teach on issues of discrimination. However, I am your vicar and I think I owe it to you not to shy away, but to try, because this is not about me, this is about God's word and it's about a vision shared by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Nevertheless, please know that I come to this subject with humility and with an awareness that I'll probably get things wrong. I will speak ignorantly or presumptuously, for which I'm sorry. I'm indebted to some uh, teaching given by the Reverend Dr. Kate Coleman. It was the first black woman to be an accredited Baptist minister in this country and president of the Baptist Union. Some of the insights I'll share about this passage are hers. Second qualification, it struck me as I sat down to prepare this last night that I've picked a bad Sunday for it. Um, With no children's groups this morning, there's not much time. We necessarily need to keep things a little shorter. But then I realized however long I had this morning, the point is surely that this is not a topic that can be adequately addressed as a one-off. You know, it's Black History Month, we'll do a Sunday on it sort of thing. I think the story that scripture shows is that this is something that should permeate all our teaching and discussion on how we seek to be the church today. Because this is a key part of the good news. The church has something really, really good to say about this in a world that is at a bit of a loss at times. So all that said, this is Acts 6, 1 to 7. And we're going to look at three aspects of how the apostles, the leaders in the church, responded to a, a problem of racial discrimination. So, uh, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you've got two groups in the church at this point. You've got the Hebraic Jews, um, kind of Jerusalem natives who, like Jesus and his disciples, spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And then you've got the Hellenistic Jews from other lands who spoke Greek, maybe had returned towards Jerusalem in their old age. But the point is you have these two distinctive groups in the early church. And the, uh, the apostles, the twelve, were all part of that first group, the Hebraic Jews. And in first century Israel, the most vulnerable people groups were widows and orphans. Widows with no male relatives had no income. 
So the Bible talks a lot about God's heart for widows, and it seems that the Hebraic widows were getting looked after. But as the church grew, the Hellenist widows weren't. They were experiencing discrimination on the basis of their nationality, their ethnicity, which was not okay. So let's look at how this plays out. The first thing that happened was that the 12, the disciples, they took notice. So the apostles, it seems, hadn't realized there was a problem. Those in power rarely do. Coleman says that it's unlikely that their actions were deliberate or conscious, but that didn't stop the same ugly, ethnocentric, xenophobic, elitist behaviors of their society being replicated within the church structures. So it took the Hellenists raising the issue for them to become aware of it. So, verse 2, the 12 gathered all the disciples together. That's to say they didn't dismiss the complaint or they didn't try and downplay it. Oh, those Hellenists, they're just imagining it. They always play the Hellenist card. It's a foreign thing. They don't, they, don't they know that we love them. This isn't a gospel priority. Perhaps it will go away if we ignore it. First, they took notice. They took it seriously and they didn't brush it off. They brought the whole church together to consider and pray about it. So question number one, what is your response to the idea that we have a problem as society, we have problems in society and in the church with discrimination on the basis of race? Can you see it? Do you notice it? Are you perhaps like me thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't wade into this. I'll just make a mess. But the first thing the disciples noticed. Second thing they did is that they behaved like allies. This is Kate Colm. I'm just going to quote her directly because she does this better than me. The apostles belong to the dominant group but are invited into the privilege of facilitating change. They effectively declare Hellenist lives matter. Not because Hebrew lives don't, but at this moment it's the Hellenist lives that are at stake, disadvantaged, endangered. They initiate a turnaround, what we call in the church repentance, and they involve the whole church in addressing the suffering. It says Romans 12 tells us to weep with those who weep, to weep with, we need to share the pain. To share the pain, we need to understand, be informed, listen, read, watch, and learn. So question number two is, after we've noticed, are we prepared not to run away, but to draw close and engage in the suffering of our brothers and sisters? Are we prepared to weep with those who weep? Third thing they did is they took bold action. Verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Um, this proposal pleased the whole group, the whole church, and they presented, we heard the names, thank you, uh, Math and Sue, for reading those names. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So first of all, they made sure they didn't drop any more balls by creating a team to do this properly. They recognized that they weren't managing to cover all these bases. Second, they chose this team from people identified by the church. 
And note the names of the seven chosen were all Greek names. This new leadership team were all drawn from the Hellenist Jews. And they made them responsible for the care of all the widows, not just the Hellenist widows. And note they didn't see this as any um, lesser kind of calling. They selected those who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. And then they commissioned them laying their hands on them, a sign of investing their leadership in them. And they said, we need you to lead this, to show us how to get this right. Maybe this then is a question for the leaders of this church, maybe the church nationally or even globally. How do we move from recognising there's a problem to putting things right? Actually, you know, it's one of the three ambitions uh, named in the London Diocesan Plan between now and 2030 to grow younger, to become safer and more racially diverse. And undoubtedly action is needed to set us on a trajectory to where we want to be. Where we want to be is a place hinted in that story of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when the church was transformed from a small group of of, uh, Jewish followers of Jesus into a multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual movement which is passed down to us today. And it's the place spoken about in Revelation where a multitude, a vision of a multitude of every tongue, tribe and nation, greater than can be counted, bowing the knee and together worshipping the Lamb who was slain and who conquered. And to return to the wider story in Acts that we've been looking at, we're seeing a church that's just beginning to experience struggles with race and ethnicity. We've actually been talking so far in this story about Jewish believers here, but the church grew. It started to take in uh, Gentiles, which is that's non-Jews like the majority of us today. And that threw up these huge cultural questions and tensions, which many of the New Testament letters were written to address. But to finish, let's just take a look at how these verses, um, this is Acts 6, 1 to 7, are bookended and see what it says about how important it is that the church gets its attitude to race and justice right. So verse 1, this is kind of a before and after this story. Verse 1, in those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing. So at the start of this story, the church is growing. That's great. But after this, after all of this, verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's something about this process of noticing the problem, drawing alongside, and then taking action, unlocked a new, greater season of growth in the church, with new people groups being reached. The gospel advanced, it seems, rapidly as a result of this. If we had time, we'd skip ahead to Acts 15, where we'd see the church recognised by those around it. Primarily by outsiders, they saw the church as this kind of radically multi-ethnic body, breaking a mould in a society that was full of racial tension, showing a different way, the way of Jesus. And that was the place in that context, where the disciples were first given the name Christians, first identified in name as belonging to Jesus. 
know, this is not a fringe issue. It's not a distraction from the gospel. It's not jumping on a bandwagon, and it's certainly not tokenism. This is the heart of the church of Jesus and what it means to be his disciples, his family together. His people like a light in the dark world, showing the world a different way, just as he talked about and just as we'll be talking about at our children's glow-in-the-dark party this afternoon. So let's just take a moment to pray 